I literally took that $1,200 stimulus check and I just used it to start. I bought, you know, my LLC, uh, ring light, phone. I upgraded my phone. I remember the day I just created my first piece of content. But I was like, you know, all right, let's just, let's just see. I felt like I had nothing else to do. Why would I not just give it my all? Welcome to Unique Genius, the podcast where we explore the journeys of amazing creators who are changing the world of online business. I'm Greg Smith, a creator myself, co-founder and CEO at Thinkific. And today we're talking to Ellie Diop. Now, Ellie has an amazing story of how she got started turning $1,200 into millions, all after being laid off and balancing motherhood with building a multi-million dollar business and a community of over 370,000 people. You've got to hear how she did this. Would you have been able to do this before you became a creator? No. There would be no way. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the time because my business can go wherever. And I have such a great team. And you know what? It's really forced me to look at how do I exist? How does this company exist without me? Yeah. Like fully. Yeah. You know, I've had to really look at the systems. We've just done so much more of an overhaul on like what makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. This looks like it makes sense. Yeah. Let's do more of that. It really is starting to function a lot better where I'm still a part of it, but it's not relying on me, which is good. Amazing. That's a huge step in your role. Because it's your face, it's your brand, it's you. Like I started to run ads and you know, I've been doing this organic for the last three years. I've never run ads, but it's actually making sense because now it allows me to maybe create a little bit of content but I don't have to be the one pushing it out with my Instagram. So, okay. So I love this, that you're trying to make this transition because we talked a little bit about how do we even start this journey last time we met, but now you're on the way. Yeah. This idea of sort of extracting the need for just you all the time in your business. You talked about process, but like, what is the, what do you start to think about moving in that direction? Um, I think the real key is what are the messages people are looking for mm-hmm. not connected to my face, yeah. right? So even if it's not me saying it, what are they excited to hear about? Yeah. What gets them going? And focusing on that yeah. versus it being me that right. delivers it, right? Because I can still be a part of my brand, still post to my stories, still talk about me so people feel that connection, but it doesn't have to be my video, Right. right. Do you have other people now coming in and delivering these messages? So I hired a, a social media manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, because it had just been me creating content for the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. And not only is it not sustainable, but it's also not really fair mm-hmm. to my audience and to what I'm teaching. Because what I believe in, in my business, you know, helping mm-hmm. women scale doesn't have to just be always me delivering that message you know sometimes we can use voiceovers my social media manager can get on there and talk about it yeah and now that allows me to be just more thinking about the scaling side of the business rather than being so connected to being the face of the business right yeah it frees you up to be more the leader than than the talent uh which is exceptional what opportunities could that open up for you in the future if you go that route you know, I already feel like it allows me to be more creative. I think as a creator, being in front of the camera, inevitably it comes along with insecurity, regardless of the fact that I'm delivering an important message. Yeah. So now that I'm working on separating myself from being the deliverer, yeah. 
I don't really have to worry about You're those free. things. Exactly. Yeah. I can just think about, well, this is what I would want to say. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I have on makeup today or not. Let's figure out a way to get it out there. That's amazing. You know, and how can we make people more connected to that? Because I think that's what's going to make a business last. You know, one day... Ellie Talks Money is going to be old and 75 years old and I may not want to create, you know, content anymore. What will continue is what I'm talking about, not necessarily me talking about it. So it's really giving me the opportunity to look at how can I create little replicas of these individual brands that connect with different niches of people that are reflective of my ideas, but people have no idea it's me. Even now. Yeah. With the success you've had, being a little reluctant, I guess, at times to shoot a video, post a video, you know, do I want to put myself on camera today? It's interesting. So you're nearing hundred thousand subs on YouTube, amazing success and revenue helped a ridiculous number of people. Uh, I think it was what 50,000 took your course in your first year. Yeah. In my first year. Yeah. 48,000. You know, I find myself even more now that I've, that is three years in, I have to give myself more pep talks than I did in my first year. You can still do this. You got this. Don't be insecure. Don't be afraid. Go create. And it's something so interesting about, you know, when you're really new to it and you're just figuring it out, Mm. you almost have no limitations or inhibitions because you don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's right. You're just, you're just doing stuff. Well, so who's going to see it? Right. Now, you know, you post it and a lot of people are going to see it. So there's almost like your perfectionism gets amped up. So you get into this overthinking and I'm always telling myself, Ellie, just go back to creating the way you used to create in your mom's house with 3000 followers. Yeah. You didn't know anything about anything. And you just said, let me go and try this. And there's something really special about that period. And so when I talk to my audience, I'm always telling them, you know, this is your opportunity to figure it out, to get it wrong, to just create, to make the content, to find your audience. Because you're thinking that having 100,000 followers is the secret. But once you get into that realm, a different level of pressure comes. And, you know, I have to get myself over that hump and say, okay, Ellie, just post the content. I love that because I think a lot of times we think it's hard to start and you have this fear of starting, but really... That's when you're most free because, like you said, you can experiment, you, can you know, experiment. because who knows you? And I think, you know, so many creators get themselves caught up in this, you know, someone's not going to like it or someone's going to see it. And it's like truly one thing I've realized people are so much more focused on their own problems and their own situation. Yeah. They're not really caring if your video has three and a half likes, you know, at the end of the day, they're like, OK, this is cool. And then they're on to the next thing. But it's the consistency of you showing up and being authentic that makes them pay attention and say, hmm, I think I'm going to go on this journey with her. And so I'm always telling myself, Ellie, you owe that same level of openness, creativity and authenticity to your community because that's what made them join you in the first place. So don't give that up now. But maybe now you can look at it doesn't have to be me, but it can still be the voice, right? Amazing. It can still be the story. It can still be the vibe. Which giving you that freedom is amazing to, you know, move to Senegal to spend more time with your kids, yeah. to still have revenue coming in and being able to scale and grow, grow a team. I want to jump back to something you're saying is sort of like moving your brand in a direction where it doesn't only have to be you. And obviously it gives you freedom. Do yeah. you think that could take you down the path of, you know, taking investments, selling, selling part of it? Do you think, you know, no, I'm all in on this forever? I mean, one thing (laughs) I've really thought about lately is getting a strategic partner. Mm -hmm. I feel like at first that was never a thought. I'm like, this is me. I'm going to do this as my baby. But since disconnecting from it a little bit, I'm like, it would be great to 
find someone who can help take this to the next level. You know, I still don't know if I would sell one day, but I have started thinking about what my exit strategy would be. How could this business that started, you know, my face in my mother's living room, how could it go and be something that takes on a new shape or meaning, Mm -hmm. but still connected to that original root? And it's kind of crazy to think about, but as creators, when we birth something, we think we're going to hold on to it forever, but it's very much like a child. They're going to have to go out and just take on a different meaning and shape and they're going to mean something to someone else different than what they mean to me and that's what I'm seeing with my business I love that such a beautiful way to look at it yeah like letting them leave the nest and be their own person but as your business too yeah that gives opportunity for you either to do something new or to take on a different role within your organization you could be chair of the board kind of thing I've seen you know it's, it's amazing seeing the opportunity for creators now to either you know sell a portion sell all take on a a different type of role I've even like a board role that kind of a thing it's it's like they're really becoming real businesses serious entities and I think that that's such an important thing for creators to realize is that you don't have to always be in front of the camera like you don't have to always be creating Mm -hmm. you should be looking at okay what makes people connected to my business what do they like about it what because they're not just showing up to see your face like that's a part of it but they're mostly showing up because of what you have to say right so how can you take what you have to say and create a community around that Mm -hmm. whether it's a subscription or it's a product that people still want Mm -hmm. so that that goes forward and you you know do something else right and you've mentioned dessert of subscription products community like i know you have courses like yeah what are the what's the breadth of say business models revenue streams that you have in your business I think you do ads as well right or like Mm -hmm. AdSense revenue right yeah so with YouTube that's our main way of generating income is with AdSense revenue the other side of it is our products and our courses but one thing I've seen now in the second third quarter of the year is I enjoy instead of always only having a digital product that someone can take and watch or listen to on their own time, we've started doing kind of like quarterly or every 60 days live events. So we do them over the course of five days. I call them challenges, five day challenges or five day masterclass experiences. So it's almost the process I would take to record a course, but I started thinking, why not let them in on that process and we make it a live class. And so then those recordings go somewhere and we sell them later or they're provided to the people. But I'm finding that I like this structure because of the fact that it allows them to be with me. Mm -hmm. They're able to ask questions. And, you know, one thing about courses is I've noticed I'll sell them and I'll see them buy, but then I'll go look at their progress. And I'm like, you're only 25% through this course. (laughs) (laughs) It is a challenge. You know, it's like, so I'm happy you bought it, but I also want you to open it, right? I want you to go through the process. So One thing about having these kind of community events, live classes, is you know that they're consuming the information. Right. And you have almost that guarantee that they've gotten 100% through. So that's one part. I also think that um, a great revenue stream and one we're developing is our subscription model. Yeah. So with Mommy to Millionaire specifically, which is our community just for moms who want to build wealth and grow their business, we're shifting to a subscription where instead of you buying one course at a time, Mm -hmm. You subscribe and now you're getting several live classes for the month. So you know exactly what's coming. You have the opportunity to connect with other moms in your area. And I I think that with social media and how there is so much content, Mm -hmm. I'm realizing that what people need is a home base to go back to. Right. Because you can be on social media and see 
thousands of reels and different opinions about the same thing. And get lost in it. And get lost in it. And ultimately what you really need is, okay, that's cool, but let me go back to my community because I know that. Yeah. Here I'm going to have classes. There's someone I can ask a question to. Mm-hmm. I have a community manager. I can talk to the other women in my community, you know? So we're in the very early phases of launching that, but yeah. I'm excited about it. And that makes me think about this can be something that exists even when I'm 75 and old and sitting somewhere, right? And you can have facilitators that aren't you and amazing. So uh, we jumped right in. I know yeah. you've, you've told this story many times, but I'd love to hear just yeah. little like your getting started origin story. Yeah, uh, the beginning. Because <laughs> you have such a cool one. It is. And it's, it's a great example, I think, for so many people to hear how you got started. Yeah. So, you know, I always feel like I started my business kind of just by accident, really almost by necessity. I didn't really think I was going to be a business owner because I had a really great job. I was making six figures as director of sales and then I got laid off. So I got laid off, gave birth to my twins, then got divorced at the end of 2019 going into 2020 and then moved back to my mom's house with all four kids. So, you know, in the period of like six months, everything just completely changed. Wow, that's a lot of change. A lot, a lot. So, you know, I'm back at my mom's house, didn't have a job. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's try to start life over. I applied to probably over 55 jobs and just didn't get hired. No callbacks, just nothing. Um, So then COVID hit and I realized that the stimulus checks were coming and I did not think about really starting a business. But as I was seeing content creators on social media, watching YouTube videos and seeing like people are making money, you know. And for me, I was like, well, if I could maybe just make $10,000 a month. Just 10. Yeah, that sounds great. 10 a month. Because, you know, that's what I was making before. I'm like, okay, I could move out. I could probably get a car, you know. I was yeah. like, okay, let me try to do this. And so I kind of started thinking, well, what would I create a business on? What do I know how to do? And I just thought about my work experience, you know. Well, I know how to lead. I know how to sell. I know about funding. I could probably help women, you know, get a little more clear on their businesses because I worked in sales, you know. So, I literally took that $1,200 stimulus check and I just used it to start. I bought, you know, my LLC, a ring light, a phone. I upgraded my phone. I went to Ross and got some, you know, little uh, decorations for my background so it wouldn't look too crazy, you know, in my mom's living room. (laughs) And I remember the day I just created my first piece of content and... You know, at the time I had 300 followers, so I was pretty much creating content for the people I went to college with. Right. But I was like, you know, all right, let's just, let's just see. I felt like I had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Why would I not just give it my all? You know, at, at this point, no jobs are hiring. If other creators can do this, maybe I can too, you know? Um, and so that consistency in continuing to show up and really give value that I thought was valuable based on my own life experience and then asking, you know, the 500 people, well, what else do you guys want to hear? That kind of give and take got me to my first 10,000 followers, yeah. then a hundred thousand and, you know, in my first sale, yeah. then my first $500 day, yeah. which was like wow. a really big deal for me. 
No kidding. Yeah. So I'd love to, I always love <laughs> to hear people's experience deal. of like first dollar, first $500 day. What was that like for you? So I was, you know, creating content for a couple months. And one day I said, well, let me talk about business funding. Cause I know a little bit about this and, um, you know, let's see if people need this. So I created a post and, you know, to me it went viral cause it got over a hundred likes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I'm like, ooh, okay, maybe this is something that is relevant for my audience. So I started to ask more questions and I said, okay, I'm going to launch a pre-order of my business credit mm. ebook for $15. Yeah. So I made something on Zoom, put it together, you know, watched a YouTube video about digital products and so many people, I think maybe 30 people, however many gives me $500 at 15 bucks is how many people pre-ordered my product that day. And that was a big deal. Yeah. I remember looking at that $500 and I was just like, I think I'm onto something. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Was that sort of life changing, game changing, oh, vision changing yes. for you? Like you saw the future there of like, okay, there's, this isn't just an experiment. I saw the future. And what I did is I looked at, I said, okay, if this many people could buy $15, what would it take for me to get double the amount of people to buy a $15? You know, and I remember maybe a few days later going in and just saying, okay, like, Let's see if I wanted to make, you know, $5,000 in a day. How many people need to buy in that day? So you, you talked a little bit about some measurements there and asking yeah. these questions of what would it take? How do you look at success or is there ways you measure it or think about success in your business for you? You know, I think the first year's success was definitely like make as much money as possible. Okay. And, you know, which hey, is great. Hey, four kids, you're living in your mom's basement. That sounds like a great goal. Exactly. So it was like, Money, 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 money. And I did make my first million in 10 months, which was incredible. You know, I mean, I remember seeing my deposit and then my account showed a million dollars. And I just, you know, it's just like, this is insane. And so that year, you know, 2021, I had a really good year. I think we finished maybe over $3 million. And this was my first full like year of business. But since then, success looks a little different for me. It's still revenue driven, right? I yeah. still want to hit numbers, but I was working mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. I had no systems. Right. It was me and like one other person that I eventually hired after I made $2 million. <laughs> like, why didn't I hire someone sooner? That was your first hire. $2 million yes. made. Now I'll hire someone. Now I'm like, maybe I should probably get someone to help me with customer service. Right. Because I was doing it all by myself. So going into year two, when I really thought, hmm, I actually want to do this for the long term. It has to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Success started to look like how much revenue can I make without being live seven times a week? Because I was going yeah. live twice a day when I hit my, you know, three million you were dedicated. first year. Yeah. I was just like, it was the only thing I was doing. Yeah. So then I started to think, hmm, this is probably not that sustainable because my kids are getting older. They need me. You know, now let's look at, hmm, how much can I make without doing that? Yeah. But still being involved, that's what success looks like. Okay, how much can I make? How many hours did I work this week? Yeah. Right? What people on my team are actually generating revenue for me mm -hmm. and what isn't? So it's starting to change every year. I think that revenue is an important number to look at. But at the end of the day, you know, revenue is kind of fickle. Yeah. Right? It's going to go up and down, but what's really going to help you get it to a sustainable place is the systems and the strategies and the people. You know, I think my first year it was like, make the money, Ellie, do it right now, <laughs> you know, and now it's really become, hmm, okay, how can I 
create a business that really is is like designed around my life right versus creating a life that is just around my business which really That's ends up way to look not being much of a life anyway do you look at other do you look at sort of profitability margins as you think because you've started to build a team you have other yeah. costs in that yeah you know within that do you think about how much is actually going in the bank account at the end of the day? Yeah, for sure. So we always try to be at, you know, 30, 40% of our mm-hmm. profit margin. So including team costs. Mm-hmm. Now we might move that up a little bit because of ads, if I decide yeah. to scale ads. But mm. overall, if I'm in that realm, yeah. it's a good month. Yeah, I think for most business, like I have seen creator a lot of creator businesses, especially where it's courses, where yeah. you can get 80% plus profit margins. But that's often where it's like just you. And that's what was my first year. Yeah, I was like 90%. But then when you want to scale, you add team, you have other costs, you build in systems and process. You're creating a real business that can stand the test of time, bring you out of it. Now you move to lower margins, but on larger revenues and more scalability. I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and, you know, you can you had that first year that was just all basically straight to you because you're putting everything in and getting everything out. Yeah, it's definitely stressful at times to have a team. You know, a lot of the time I find myself staying on top of things, not even for me, but it's like, I have to make sure my team gets paid, you know, and they're giving a part of their time and their day and their life to help you build something. So it really becomes a special return, I think, on, on energy. And I wouldn't have it any other way, even though it's very stressful. I know that that level of responsibility to make sure that my team is taken care of because they're also taking care of me is really, really important. Yeah. And your team, what are you up to now in team size? So we are at 10. Okay, awesome. And you start, first hire wasn't until 2 million. Now you're at 10 people. How do you think about building team culture, core values, Mm -hmm. finding the right kind of people to hire? So a lot of the hires that I make are usually based on referral or someone that I know. And generally I know that if someone who's already working with me or knows me is referring someone, they probably know that there's going to be some sort of alignment. I think last year we actually had a conversation about putting words to it. One of the words that we um, identified as a value of our team is definitely excellence. Mm -hmm. Another is authenticity. Right. Um, But we also want to make sure that what we create is authentic. We Mm -hmm. want our customers to know that, you know, I'm a real person and also that, you know, we, we never want them to feel like they are just giving money. You, right. you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes in the creator world or the course creator world, if you're not careful and you're showing your lifestyle changing and your audience knows that they're buying from you, they can start to think, well, am I funding your lifestyle? Like, am I just a dollar to you? Right. So we always want to be very mindful of making sure our customers are getting overserved. I would say that's probably another word is overdeliver. Overdeliver. Yeah. yeah. And is this, are these concepts that, I mean, have you had come into conflict with them either in hiring or firing or people being a good fit in your team? You know, I have had to let a couple people go, which has been, it's tough. It's tough. You know, I did it at my job, right? Because it was my job to do that. But it's very different when you brought the person in, worked with them a little bit, saw it wasn't a good fit. And I think one area that I had to let someone go in was that I didn't see the over deliver Mm -hmm. belief system. Right. You know, I think you should definitely come in and do your job. Yes. But all of us on the team, sometimes we're doing roles that we shouldn't do because we're over delivering for the entire goal. Yeah. And so that one particular teammate was just kind of always sticking within just that lane. 
And I don't think that can work. Sometimes when you're on a boat, sort of, it's not my job. This is what I do, not that other thing. And that's tough when you're in a small business where you really need to be jumping around to what needs to get done as opposed to what I was signed up for. Exactly. Sometimes you got to be all hands on deck. You know, I got to do stuff that I don't even really know how to do because my project manager does it. But if it needs to get done, I'm going to get in there and do my best to make sure it gets done. You know, sounds like you, you really do have a sense of these are the things that are important to you within your team, to your customers, to your business. And you, yeah. and now I like you're taking that intentional approach of trying to discover that in the interview. So you make, you know, in advance, is there going to be a good fit? Or are they going to yeah. live the way we live with our customers and our business? And one thing that I've also done is in my, uh, on my Instagram. So that's pretty much our biggest lead source because I have over half a million followers there. They're really engaged. Mm-hmm. So when we, you know, get new customers or people on our email list, they come from there first. Then yep. probably, you know, TikTok, YouTube, and it kind of goes down from mm-hmm. there. Um, but one thing I've done is I've added in like um, people into yeah. my DMs. So I already, I always had a customer service team, but I've since added three more kind of customer service people, or I like to call them setters. Yeah. So they really go in and have conversations with my audience. So they're in your DMs for you. Exactly. You've given them access so they can talk through your DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they talk through my DMs, they answer questions. Sometimes if it's, you know, the right call to action, they sell the products. And I've noticed that since we've done that, um, that's also really helped the business to grow. Yeah. And I'm also not having to be in the sales position. Right. Because before, you know, it's me talking to you and I'm selling to you. Right. But now you think you might think it's me selling to you, but I've really just trained them to talk to my audience the way that I would talk to my audience. Right. So, you know, they'll call them, hey girl, hey business yeah. bestie. And some of them are guys. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so funny. And they're in there saying, hey girl. Yeah. Like, it's great because we started to receive, you know, just emails and kind of comments that say, I love talking to you on Instagram because you really respond to me, you really right. talk to me. I really feel like you're listening to what I have to say. And that is special. Even though it's not me, right? That is something that's going to make a customer want to come back. That's going to make them want to tell someone else. You yeah. should contact her because you'll you'll get an answer to your question and I think in this content creator world like you said there's so many people creating content but that one element of that human interaction can make a follower really become an actual loyal you really engage there yeah it sounds like in a lot of your hiring your um you're doing the activity yourself to the point where you really know how to do it and then you're bringing someone in and you're kind of teaching and coaching them to do that do you think that makes a big difference in terms of the kind of people you find or how successful they can be or how even how you can manage them because you've been there, done that? I definitely think it makes a difference. You know, me hiring my first social media manager ever (laughs) just a month ago was so hard, you know, because I had been doing it. My community is so close to me because I built it from, you know, that 300 (laughs) three years ago. But it's been able to be a a successful transition in (laughs) hiring the social media manager because I could directly tell her, this is what they like. This is right. what they don't like. This is what works. This is how I like to sound. When you're writing my captions, it's really important to have this. You know, I really want to make sure that out of all the posts we make in a week, at least three of them should be inspirational with no selling. You know, I just want to connect. Right. And so I wouldn't have insight into that mm. had I not spent so much time Doing it on my own. Right. Have there been roles you've had to hire for where you didn't know how to do it beforehand? Oh my God, yes. And you know what? 
it was terrifying. For example, I before I learned how to do my own ads, I yeah. hired an ads team. Yeah. And it didn't work because I didn't I had nothing to go off of. Right. right. I had nothing. You didn't to know make. if it was working, how to measure it. Nothing. I'm right. just trusting what this person is saying. And you know, yeah. It's okay to outsource work, but I think when you are building a business, you have to know at least a little bit before you outsource. So you don't have to be the expert, but enough to understand, just enough to manage and understand if they're doing well or not. Exactly. You know, it's so important because I spent all that money and really realized the return I was getting from ads was less than what I was getting from organic marketing. Right. And if I had just studied it a little bit before being in a rush to do it because I saw other people doing it, mm-hmm. I probably could have avoided that like $10,000 mistake. Sometimes when you're building a business and you have the money to yep. hire and outsource, sometimes that's the first go. Totally. And now I've started to train myself, well, Ellie, wait, just because you have the 10K to go and put on this, yeah. don't do it, right? Yeah, I love this. Sounds like you have a lot of principles around building a team, like from you know, taking it a little slower, doing it yourself first, or at least a base level understanding, understanding what success looks like. Yeah. Um, applying your values when you're bringing them in, yeah. giving them a sense of, of what that looks like, uh, making sure you can afford them, right? Getting to that place that you can afford them before you make the hire, but also not getting too crazy when you can afford them that every problem solution is another headcount. Yes. And you know, I think connected to that too, Greg, I feel like At first, I really wanted to go fast. And one thing I've realized is I don't have to be in a race. I would rather build this the right way, even if it's a little slower, quote, unquote, than to just try to run and do something based on what I'm seeing other people do. And I would really want to make sure that creators really hear that because you do get into this space where you feel like you're not doing enough. But at the end of the day, even if it takes you five years to get to 25 million and it took someone else two years to do it, you still got to 25 million. Yeah, I think most of us would be very, very happy with 25 and five. (laughs) Even a lot less. Yeah. Like you still did it. And so I've really now decided let's hire when we really feel like it's time. Yeah. You know, let's launch when we feel like it's really ready, not to try to get a certain revenue number before the end of the quarter, right. you know, because that isn't sustainable. So just really not rushing. Yeah. Doing it correctly. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Because I'm like, I don't want to rush. And then in five years when I still want to create, I really can't because maybe I rushed to just get these numbers and I lost that trust with my audience. Right. I like how I think in every question we've talked about, you jump back to your audience, the people, the people you're serving. So early days you were creating content, a few things worked, then you started asking, what do you want more? What do you, how is this working? And even now, you know, through your DMs, you're constantly engaging. How does that sit within your business? Has that been a critical element of your success? It is. We survey our audience via email at least once a week. Yeah. I survey them in my DMs at least once a week where I just ask them, you know, what do you need help with this week? Like, What's going on in your business? What are you struggling with in, in whatever area? And so it helps me create better content. Yeah. But it also helps me understand where my audience is. Because one thing I've really notice and that has kind of been a hard thing is you know I have been an expert in one subject area for the last three years which is business funding and I still love that but I've grown 
yeah. as a business owner and, and as a creator. And I'm sure the people that I taught funding to three years ago have also grown where right. they may not need that. So I'm really in this phase where I'm like, how do I give them new and different value while still staying true to what they know me for, which is, you know, of course, the funding, the scaling, the strategy, but mm -hmm. there's so much more to business now that I want to talk about. Um, and I think that that's so key because you have to grow with your audience. That's what I'm feeling like. Right. I feel like I have to grow with them because if I keep giving them the same thing, yes, I'll get new people, but the ones who were there from year one to year three are going to be like, okay, girl, like I've right. heard it all before, yeah. you know? You don't want to lose them. You can evolve with, and it sounds like you've done this the whole way through, which is amazing to keep learning from them, bringing that back in. It's like, it's not just an audience that serves you from a dollar perspective yeah. in a much bigger way not only are you serving them from the products you deliver, but there's this like mutual symbiotic relationship of you asking them questions. They're asking you questions. You're learning from each other, growing, evolving. It, it yeah. makes it something that is much more sustainable for the long run, I think. Yeah. So you have to be asking your audience questions. Yeah. I think that people are so afraid of if people are going to like their stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they are your everything. You know, when you decide to be a creator, there's a level of responsibility, yeah, that, hey, you are a part of someone's, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, and I don't think we should take that lightly. Uh, okay, a bit of a different question for you, but I have to ask because of everything that's going on is AI use. Like, what do you, are you, how do you thinking about it? Do you use it at all in your business? Does your team, does it help? Is it yeah. hype for you or interesting? You know what? It's definitely interesting. I really like it. Yeah. I think that it's helping us to be more productive mm -hmm. faster, especially when it comes to content creation. So when I have my days where I have no idea what I want to create, I'm just yeah. like, I don't know what I'm going to say today. Yeah. You know? I'll ask ChatGPT, one of my favorite prompts is like, create a table format response and tell me what are 10 fears, um, 10 desires, and 10 pain points that, you know, a woman entrepreneur who's trying to scale her business to its first five years is probably struggling with, also when it comes to like her getting business funding. Yeah. And then ChatGPT in like 35 seconds just... And, you know, gives me this full table so I can go through and see, okay, so this is probably what they're going through. Maybe I could talk about this. And it gives me a lot of different ideas, really just how to articulate it. Because right. most of the time I notice when I face a content block, it's not because the content isn't there. I just don't know what to say or how to say it in a different way that right. I've not already said it. So ChatGPT is really helpful for that. Mm -hmm. I find that it's also helpful in my course creation process yeah yeah so when I'm thinking about a new product to create an ebook or a lead magnet you know I'll kind of give it what I'm thinking mm -hmm. I want to say and ask it to expand yeah. and it just creates this whole you just know, say please expand on this exactly yeah like this is what I want this checklist to be here are some of the ideas please expand on this and make it more valuable to, you know, a woman entrepreneur between the ages of 20 and 39. And then it helps me do that. Sounds like you're using it as a thought partner, almost it like where it's partner. not producing the final product for you, but you're saying expand, help, brainstorm, give me ideas. And yes. then you look and go, good, bad, improve. Let me ask my audience. And then you produce the final product. Exactly. But it's like, 
inspiration on those tough days too. It is definitely inspiration. Now, one one system I use with AI is a video editing software. Oh yeah. So I create a lot of shorts and reels yeah. and you know, I have my YouTube channel, so we'll take a lot of my long form content and there's this AI tool called video.ai yeah. and it um cuts everything down into these really smart clips. Like it yeah. it knows where to start, it knows where to end. It puts all the captions. But yeah, I like what you said. I definitely use AI as a thought partner. I think that we shouldn't be afraid of AI. We just have to use it. I think if we don't use it, those who don't use it are, are probably going to be at a big disadvantage. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Love your story. <laughs> and you've had so many wonderful successes and taken some, seems like you've learned a lot of you know valuable lessons, especially around team building and scaling. You did mention earlier SOP, so standard operating procedure. Yeah. Is this something like as you've scaled, you put them in, do you use them yourself or is this just a like for the team thing? What? Did, yeah. How do you build them? Is it just a document that says when we do this, we do these things? Exactly. So mm-hmm. we had one day where we had a webinar mm-hmm. launch that went terribly. Right. So we had about 3,000 people register for the, for the webinar mm-hmm. and I think there was like 150 people in the room. So, you know, I told them we're going to reschedule the class, guys. Thanks for coming. Technical issues. And I basically asked my team, I'm like, well, what happened? It appeared that several steps were missed because of Mm -hmm. the fact that one person thought the other person was going to do it. And so it was at that moment I said, we need to document these processes. Yeah. So it really happened because we messed up. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't initially thought about creating SOPs. I just thought everyone knew what they were supposed to do. Um, but because we've missed the mark, mm-hmm. then it became a necessity. Okay, we need to have a place where this lives mm-hmm. because I'm often thinking about if I do decide to bring in someone, mm-hmm. I got to make sure my house is clean. You yeah. know, I can't say, oh, come be a strategic partner in my business just because we're making great revenue. But it's all dependent on you. Yeah. That's not how to work. Yeah. So, you know, that's been a really great mm-hmm. change where now I have the confidence to know you know, even some days if I'm not feeling well, they can handle it. It takes on a life of its own. So Amazing. That was a hard lesson, though. You got a lot of the systems in place, I think, for a truly scalable organization. It's amazing I what you built, so. Ellie. Yeah. I really do. I really have found myself more in love with business ownership, you know? Yeah. I think when I first started, it was really cool to make money and like, yeah. wow, look at what's possible, mm-hmm. you know? And now money is still great, but it's also like, wow, look at this is something I can really build yeah. that can, you know, really go and like do things, you know, and still be here. And other people can fall in love with what you're wanting to do just as much as you're in love with it. And I think that that's really cool. You know, business owners, I find that I'm coaching. They always feel like they have to do everything alone. Mm-hmm. And what I tell them is don't think like that because the same way that you have this idea and you want to bring this to life, there's someone else who may not want to be the entrepreneur. Yeah. They may not want to be the CEO, but they also want to be a part of something great and cool. And by your efforts, you know, it's going to happen where you happen to align with that person and then those people. And then, you know, this is how we see these great companies. There's only one CEO of Apple, but does it mean that all the other people who are at Apple don't have the same vision and attachment to the idea that the CEO or the founder has? Definitely. So yeah. it's pretty cool. You know, I'm like, I like this. Like I would definitely keep starting businesses. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you seem like you're great at it. So, well, you definitely are. <laughs> we're trying, you know, we're trying. So it's pretty cool. I'm definitely excited for what next year looks like. How's the subscription going to launch? You know, wow. even if we make 
only 1 million, mm-hmm. but we get our subscription numbers up, yeah. that's a win. Yeah. You know, because now, right, when I when I start over every year, I start at zero. Right. But with subscription, year. you got recurring. Exactly. So you're starting at a million. You're starting at a million. Yeah. So, you know, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous because I know it's going to be a new world, mm-hmm. but it's it's a good type of nervous energy because I know that mm-hmm. whether, however much I make, I'm going to learn. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to help me figure out, okay, that didn't work. That did work. You know, let's try this. You know, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I think you've you've definitely taken this approach of being able to experiment the whole way through. And even at the level of success, you're not stagnating. You're making change. You're kind of still experimenting. You're keeping the core of what's important and delivering value and engaging with your audience. But you're able to build on that success by creating free time living the life you want, using that to inject creativity and come up with new ideas to keep growing, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So that's really fun. You know, I definitely encourage more people to just go after it. You don't have to worry about getting it right, right away. You just keep going and then you learn and then you say, okay, I like that. I don't really like that. Or they didn't really like that. So let me adjust a little bit and try this. When you are really obsessed with the process and connected to that, the outcome is always going to be great you know yeah. regardless of what number you land at because of the fact that you're focused on making the process better mm-hmm. and I feel like that's where I am and I hope that this is where I'll stay seems like you're in a pretty sweet spot that way exactly usually <laughs> you don't have to worry about these other things and you know mm-hmm. I think we can get weighed down by revenue I see it a lot mm-hmm. you know where people feel less valuable because they haven't made x amount but you can't drive like that you can't build something that matters only focusing on how much money you're going to make. Right. You, you, you know, clearly think about your audience a ton and how you're helping them. Yeah. How do you make it better? Even if sometimes your profit margins are like nothing, you know, it doesn't mean you're not building something great just because yeah. you don't have a, like a ton of money left mm-hmm. over. It just means that you're more committed to huh. building something over and over again and making it better. Mm-hmm. And revenue is always going to come. You know, when you're, when you, I find that, when I focus on serving mm-hmm. really well, that's when I make the most money. Right. But when I focus on making money yeah. and just drop something, I don't make any money. <laughs> so Fail focus on much. serving. Yes. Service leads to your outcomes and your success. Exactly. Focus on your customers. and Service yeah. leads to sales. Absolutely. Well, I think focusing on service is a great place to leave it. So thank you, Ali. That was amazing. Appreciate so it. Awesome. <laughs> I was inspired by my conversation of Ellie Giap. I hope you were as well. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to hear some really different ideas of how to look at online business and turning your knowledge, passion, and expertise into a thriving business. Check it out. 